every earthly system always blows my mind with its perfection. And the seasons are like that. You know, the seasons are constantly suggesting like when to say no, when to say yes, when to expand, when to contract. This book is just kind of like me giving everyone that reminder. case good morning good evening good night as they say in the truman show perhaps in the hemisphere that you're in it's winter or soon to be spring might even be no it's i think it's just i think it's just the options are one or the other it's either winter in one hemisphere or summer in the other right Pretty sure that's how the globe works. Anyway, this week's guest is Jacqueline Suskin, a poet, an educator, and the author of eight books. She has been featured everywhere from the New York Times to the Atlantic to the Los Angeles Times. And her newest book is called A Year in Practice, a practical guide for using the natural seasons to inform creative rhythms. She's really cool. She now lives in Detroit where she teaches kids in this really incredible program that brings poetry into classrooms and she has this curriculum called Poem Forest and we talk about her work doing that a little bit. She spent many years living in Los Angeles and I actually met her through my friend Lauren recently and I got to meet her in person at her book event when she was back in town and a lot of the questions during her book signing from people in the audience were asking her about the transition moving from LA to Michigan and as someone who did the opposite transition of going from living there and growing up there to living in this place where the variance in weather is so little and seasonality is so little here i really got to scratch an itch by talking with her about that difference and it's such a theme of her book it's a theme of this conversation she even has a poem about la called no seasons which she reads during this which is a real treat and we cover the transition between seasons and how there's a sting to spring and how she is really committed to finding sources of energy that feel consistent for her and fulfilling rather than draining and really inspires me with how she maintains a clear creative practice and process and she's able to be so prolific by really protecting her time and learning to say no so we get into all of that and and so much more i'm so grateful that you're here and you're listening if you're new my name is katie this is my podcast here's my conversation with poet author educator jacqueline suskin I'm so happy 
that you're here. We've been chatting a little bit before this and you were so nice while I sorted out a microphone situation, but thank you so much for, for doing the podcast. And I was so happy to get to meet you when you were in town in LA and it's been really nice spending time with your work and, and your new book and your past work. And I'm really excited to talk to you about all of it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about it too. Well, one thing that that we spoke about when we met in person is that we share this, you know, I, I don't know how, I'm sure many p- people we share the, this with actually, but I don't know that many <laughs> that I share the Detroit, LA people who have lived in both of those two places. And it was really interesting to hear you talk about that a little bit when we met at your book signing and specifically hearing people who knew you from here asking you about your move and the differences between those two places seasonally and generally because you know your book is the your newest book is about seasons and cycles and connecting with with nature in that way and and of course the the cities couldn't be more different and I'm there's overlap of course but obviously climate wise they're so different and and we were talking before this of just how we related about the silliness of things that we completely take for granted in in Detroit of like being able to drive in the snow and 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 rain and here it's it's so different so I'd love to start there and kind of continue what we were talking about before we started recording but are you are you from Michigan? Can you talk about like why you decided to to come here and and what you're how you're feeling about those two the dichotomy of those two places? Yeah, yeah, I am from Michigan. I was born uh, just outside of Detroit in Royal Oak and lived all around the city. And my parents worked in Detroit, and I spent a lot of time in Michigan. Uh, I lived here until I was eight, and then I came back um, almost every summer for many, many years to visit my grandparents. Um, and so, moving back here as an adult, I kind of always knew I would end up living here again. I had this feeling that I would return to the place where I was born, and that made a lot of sense for me. And then eventually, that is exactly what happened. And one of the things that I really noticed about coming back here was just how much I remembered all of the plants and how this place has this whole rhythm of nature that's very different than California, but that is also kind of ingrained in me. Um, and then living in Los Angeles, you know, the way that I got to California was, well, that's a very long story, but it was just me kind of following my inspirations as a writer and connecting with people and places and California totally won me over. And I lived there for, I think I lived there for about nearly 15 years. Um, and the the pull between here and California, I think will forever exist for me. Um, it's just like something that is deeply rooted in me in this like birthplace sense. And then something that, you know, almost I've heard people call places like their spiritual homeland or something like that. And I definitely feel this connection with California as a place that really taught me what it is to be in communication with the earth on like a whole other level. 
And I think kind of what we were talking about a little bit and what I was speaking of at my book signing in LA was that living in Los Angeles in particular really taught me to consider the seasons on a whole other level because they're so much more nuanced there. They're so subtle. You know, you really have to pay attention to be connected to the seasons in Los Angeles and almost everywhere in California. I mean, even my time living in Humboldt in Northern California, you know, I lived on the coast and it's extremely subtle and the the winter season is just very rainy you know it's not that it snows or anything like that so there there are shifts and changes that you learn and rhythms that you learn and i think that kind of heightened my senses and my experience overall of you know earth connection and communication and then you know by connection with that then knowing what the seasons are like in this really unique way when you were eight, where did you move at that point? Were you still in Michigan then, or where did you spend your childhood? Uh, I I like to say that I grew up in the Florida Keys because oh, that wow. is where I moved after Michigan. Um, yeah, my parents got divorced, and my mom moved us to the Florida Keys, and that. I do believe is why I am such a well-rounded, <laughs> expansive <laughs> individual because I grew up in a very lawless, very strange place. You know, I would say that so many of my childhood memories are underwater because I spent a lot of my time with my face in the uh, in the ocean. Wow, another place with very subtle seasons. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And in extremes, right? Wow. So it's so interesting that you ended up going back to to where you're from. I I think, or where you were born. That that's so cool, and and I and it really connects with this book, the the subtlety of of seasons and and how places affect us. I I wrote down something that you said when you were here, where around this conversation, I think after a question about your move, where I think there was a lot of curiosity about that from, from people in the audience mm-hmm. there, which was really interesting to me in particular. And you articulated something that I hadn't really understood until you said it, but I have felt, you know what I mean? Like you, you were, mm-hmm. I, it was like, oh, I haven't put words to that feeling. And it was when you were comparing the the two places. And it's something I really love about this book, which is that because of the subtleties here, this is even more true in California, but the book makes this point regardless of seasons in nature, the earthly seasons, you use the seasons of your life. And what hit me hard that you said was you said something about you don't get the opportunity to turn off here unless you force yourself to. And it was funny because our mutual friend, Lauren, who connected us, looked over at me and like just started laughing when you said that. And I I felt exposed, you know, because <laughs> something that she's heard me kind of say over and over and over again is this feeling of I moved here from from New York but at the beginning of the pandemic kind of unexpected or right before the pandemic but unexpectedly I was on a trip that just never ended and I 
feel like these last, I, I, I keep thinking that just happened. Like I keep thinking I just got yeah. here because mm-hmm. it's very hard to tell time. It's very hard to remember like when something was in time because in Michigan or New York, I, you know, we were wearing coats or I like have this vague, mm-hmm. my memory's all warped here. And the biggest thing that you were alluding to, I think in that quote that I wrote down was I, I was so much more productive in both of those other places because I I didn't really know why, but I think you touched on it. Like here, I'm constantly doing things and out and around people and and all day long to the point where I'm kind of like, does anyone work? (laughs) Like, how do we, how does anyone get anything done here? And it it sounds like you kind of experienced something similar of like a, a continual summer here. So I'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit. I feel that the lesson is definitely that connected to what you said about kind of like all the days sort of blurring into each other. And that's, you know, when you can't keep track of time uh, and and I I think humans are constantly trying to find ways to keep track of time and manage time and understand time. And to be honest, that's, that's like what this book is about is about me as an artist, a creative person who's also, you know, a full-time professional poet, how do I create a system or a method for myself that feels sustainable, that feels enriching, that feels like a rhythm I can adhere to? And, you know, obviously that requires practice, which was why practice is in the title of the book. It's an ongoing shifting process. But I feel like in LA, more than any other place I've lived, I was re- I was asked to really like I was required to look deeply at what that would be for me. And I I've never learned more about self-care and taking care of my body, mind, and spirit than I had to learn when living in Los Angeles because I I would have I wouldn't have survived without without that great attention to what it looked like to take care of myself in the name of my artistic discipline. Like how do I recharge myself so that I can continue doing what I do so that I can, you know, pay tribute to and be responsible for this great gift and privilege of being an artist as my job. And I examined that really carefully. And actually I think there's a poem that kind of starts the entire book off. Um, Cause I think talking about the seasons in relationship with folks who live in cities also, no matter if it's Los Angeles or New York or places that have really significant seasons or not, I think even in places that do the seasons get lost and we forget how to focus on them. And I wonder if I could just read this poem actually. And I think it kind of encapsulates oh, please. an answer. I, I thought you'd never ask. That was, that was my <laughs> dream come true. <laughs> Uh, It's called No Seasons. The word spreads that our days all run into one another, only blue skies, and without night, we wouldn't sense a change. Did you not see the full bloom of pink along the boulevard, same as last year? The silk floss trees are heavy with big pods that split open and spew white garlands of fluff. Did you miss those hours of morning fog? The neighbor's high roof was cloaked. When it's fall, there's a feeling in the air that lasts all day, and I sit on my front stoop to warm up in the sun. 
When it's winter, it finally rains, and I close the windows, buy chestnuts by the pound, and bake squash in the oven. When it's spring, the windows are open, and the whole town goes from burnt color to vivid green and yellow. When it's summer, the fans are always on high. I cut cold grapefruit with my slender knife that Yasmin brought from France, and I hardly ever leave my bed but for the ocean. So that, that. That, that poem, that's my LA No Seasons poem. And it comes from, I wrote, so I wrote a trilogy of, of um, books of poems about the places that I lived in California. And one of them is about living in Los Angeles. And that, that poem is from that book. And, you know, I think it kind of answers your question in the sense of like, there is a rhythm to be found. It is there despite the subtlety of the seasons and to learn it and to know it is equal to learning and knowing one's self and how to rest and revive in each one of those seasons. And I do think, you know, Los Angeles is a, is a place where there's just always a party. There's always something happening. There's always an event. There's always someplace you can go. You can be outside whenever you want for the most part. So there's always a trail you can hike. There's always, you know, something to see, something to do. And you really have to tune into a period of rest in a completely different way than you would in a place like Detroit, where, you know, when it's winter and it's snowing, everything shuts down and no one expects you to go anywhere. And everyone's like, oh yeah, it's snowy. Of course, you're not going to go to a party or an event. And I think there's like an inherent relief in that, um, that we might not even notice when we get used to it. You know, we get used to the seasons and these rhythms, and then we forget about them and also when they're really subtle, we forget about them. So in, in, you know, connection to what I'm saying that this book is kind of a response to helping people find their rhythm and cycle. It's really just like a request for them to remember that it already exists and it's there for all of us. It's accessible. It's free. We can all access the earth's information and, you know, let it guide us. Yeah. Yeah, I I really I mean that that poem's so beautiful and then I'm this is really hitting me hard because I I think it's a converging set of factors and in my case I'll just share like in the last 4 years since since moving here I don't know what it's like to live in LA pre-pandemic like I really mm-hmm. had trouble understanding like I I only know post-pandemic or or there's a pandemic here version of LA. So part of me sort started to blame it on that. Like maybe it's that it was a, you know, that's kind of what shifted things in me. Or maybe it's the fact that, you know, I I turned 30 at like right when I moved here. And maybe just time goes faster the older you get. And I think, I think that's true. I think, you know, there might be some truth to the pandemic thing, but maybe not. And I and I think the the third factor is something you touched on, which was when I lived in New York, I I lived in Detroit for I'm from East Lansing, so I grew up there and I went to school there too and and I moved to Detroit right after I graduated from college and I was teaching yoga and trying to do this podcast I'm still doing now and then eventually got a full-time job that was always sort of a means to an end and I wanted to move away. I'd never lived outside of Michigan. I always wanted to move to New York, so I moved to New York and I but I was dating someone who still lived in Detroit and right when I left Michigan I finally had 
I loved it there. And that's kind of been the case for me. Every time I leave somewhere, I, I really start to I have to love it. And then it's like, oh, now it's time to go. And I I had this community there and I was kind of one foot in, one foot out of, of New York going back and forth in this long distance relationship. And then eventually left my full-time job, broke up with that person and moved here, like all around the the same time over like a course of a year, those things all happened, but it was such a big life change and, you know, Saturn return for those keeping track. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> a very important it, seasonal shift. In your yeah, life. yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I still have moments where I'm like, Oh man, I, why didn't I just like, I wish I would have stayed in that relationship and I could have just like come a lot of it was about like, I didn't, I had no plans of going back there and and but i i wish that i would have like been half there and half here half you know there were so many like i really went over and over again with that in my head but i think the biggest shift was i had a full time job and i didn't so like there's built in structure whenever you are working for someone else that i was still doing all this on the side but you know, it, it happened quite quickly because it had to, you know, they say, if you have a lot to do, give it to the busy person. And as soon as I got here, suddenly I was stripped of like any semblance of structure because it was the pandemic. It was also LA where it just it seemed like everybody is hanging out all day, which I love, but it was so different from, and I had been very, I w- kind of lived in a winter season to use the the terms in the book. Like I, I, I was very comfortable there and I got so much done when I lived in Michigan. I worked this full-time job and I also wrote a book and went and started did everything I'm doing now, you know, and on the mm-hmm. side. And and here I've done in the last four years, and that's why Lauren like shot me that glance because I just kind of have been flabbergasted by how little I've I've done and achieved comparatively. And she made a really good point where here. I have a community and I have friends in a way that I really never did in either of those other two places. And to your point, like it's just in in New York, it was similar where someone said to me when I moved there, and I'm curious if you agree with this in in all places to some extent, but it's like a circuit that you can plug into at any time. Like you can... Mm plug out and stay in your apartment and be, you know, in a winter, or you can like be in a summer by going anywhere and, and plug into the circuit. Mm-hmm. And I did feel that way in New York, but I also felt it was so big and there was so much of a circus that or circus that too, but circuit that you could, no one was really clocking it. Like whether you were in or out or here it feels like it's it's just constant. It's like, do you want to go on that hike? Do you want to go to that signing? Do you want to go to the movies? It's like, yes, I, I want to do all of it. And sometimes more productivity and learning and, and growth comes from doing than like sitting behind my computer trying to like force a winter. So anyway, mm-hmm. I'm just like very much in the in the figuring outness of that. And I know that you were here for 15 years. So I'm wondering if there were any growing pains at, you know, I'm on the fourth year mark almost. So did you, how did you do that? How did you learn that? Well, I only lived there? in LA for six years, just so you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like the biggest thing that shifted for me was after, I guess, probably like a year and a half or two years of living there. I started saying no a lot. I was such a 
big yes man when I moved there and had been previously in my life. And I think that that kind of connects to age. It's funny, I'm hearing like different things from you. And part of what I'm hearing is is your, your age. And so you're shifting into a new place in this specific, you know, season of your life as you've turned 30 and gone through your Saturn return. And, you know, you're in a completely new place that has a totally different rhythm. And I think part of what happened with me when I shifted my rhythm and figured out how to live in Los Angeles was teaching myself the power of saying no. And that's this is something I don't miss about living there, which is that every hangout, every walk, every meal, everything you're doing there is somehow like hinging on the brink of opportunity. Like you could connect with someone and then end up making you know, a a masterpiece together, or you could connect with someone and they are the person who shines a light on this project you've been working on for years. Or, you know, I'm, I'm giving examples from things I've seen happen in my friends' lives. Like these are real things. It's not just idealistic and dreamy. It's real. That's what happens there. But as I've lived here in Detroit, I can't tell you what a relief it is for me to be around people who are making art just to make art. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't happen in LA because it definitely does. I have plenty of friends there who make art and nothing would stop them. But there's this like frantic kind of charge behind things that is the charge of possibility, which I think is beautiful. And I think it's enticing and I think it's totally fuel and there's greatness in it. You know, I don't say, I don't say this with judgment. I just know for me, it feels so much. I just feel a sense of relief to not have that churning feeling around me all the time. Whereas when I was younger, I loved it. I thrived in it. I had the best time living in LA. I had the best time being charged by that feeling and like following it and letting it guide me and letting the, you know, enthusiasm and excitement be sparked in every moment. And now, you know, I'm in a different season of my life. I'm about to turn 40. And I've made a lot of decisions and had a lot of things happen in my career that have allowed me to turn now towards a place where I would rather not be consistently churning in that vibration of like wild possibility. And it doesn't mean that there isn't great opportunity in Detroit, because I'm sure, as you know, that exists here too, but it's just a completely different wavelength. It's like way less, uh, I'd say consistent. I think it's constant. I just don't think it's like, consistent. It comes up in different moments when you would least expect it maybe, or, you know, there's a lot of pause built into life here. And I do think some of that is because of the power of the clear cut, potent seasonality that exists living in a place with four very distinct seasons that everyone around you has to abide by. Yeah. Okay, jumping into the middle of this episode to tell you about another episode with my friend Jezebel. You might remember this episode if you've been listening for a while, but it's called Sorry for the Late Reply. And in that episode, we talk about the emotional and mental toll our email inbox can have on us. Unread emails mixed in with a mountain of junk mail can feel really stressful and you can feel like you have 
all of this homework hanging over your head that is built up and you need to reply to and that can be overwhelming and, and hold you back from going outside into the seasons <laughs> into nature or connecting with other human beings making a creative project of any kind so what Jezebel does is she can come in she swoops on in and helps to take a chaotic inbox and morph it into a anxiety-free dare I say playful place you actually want to spend time in she has transformed the inboxes of several people including me hi actually and Carolyn Palmer another alumni of this podcast she's been on the show Jezebel puts all of her knowledge into a step-by-step process that is now available as a class so you can take it and she can you can work with her one-on-one too you can tell her you heard about it here if you you want that but also you could take her class she's put this all into bite-sized modules so you won't get overwhelmed by the process of doing it and you'll learn how to declutter and organize and automate your inbox. But what I loved most about my experience of working with her is her focus on visual cues, like colors and symbols that add creativity actually back into something that typically drains me of creativity, my emails. Get an idea of what this is like by just trying out a module. And But one of the main reasons why inboxes are so unpleasant for us is because platforms like Gmail set you up with all these default settings you don't really need. So one of the modules in your class is actually tweaking these default settings. It takes about 10 minutes and you'll get rid of about 50% of unnecessary visual clutter. And I swear just that alone can change your inbox experience. You can grab this module for free by going to the link in the show notes and scrolling down to the inbox class page. And in that free module, you can already get started with making your inbox feel a little bit better. And if that convinces you that you want to grab the entire class, I have a feeling it might, you can use the code let it out to get 20% off. And let Jezebel know we sent you if you want to work with her one-on-one. She's incredible and I'm so grateful that she did the show and now offers this. Okay, back to my conversation with Jacqueline. Built-in snow days, like fully, yeah. like we're off today. I think the closest that we get to that in in LA is rain. Like the power will go out mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. are, you know, make such a big deal. I, I mean, there there are like you know they don't have the infrastructure for it, and I understand why. But sometimes when it really is just genuinely like sprinkling for a couple hours, people are like, in a, in a way that you and I were chatting and like laughing about before. It's like, come on, man, you just like grab a grab a raincoat. It's fine. You know? Um, (laughs) but I think, yeah, it's, it's really interesting what you're talking about, about saying, no, I, I'm learning. And I think it's, I'm just like, I'm like a baby learning to walk with saying Mm -hmm. no, like I'm like really teetering over, like kind of still need to hold somebody's hand, but like can kind of do it. And whenever I do it, I'm like, oh my God, that was incredible <laughs> because yeah, you're in the best place to learn. <laughs> I'm yeah, telling you, that's the yeah, best place. Gosh, it's, LA will really teach you like you got to say it or you, you'll never survive. You, you have to learn yeah, how to say no there. 
Oh my goodness. I mean, this is such a validating experience to having this conversation with you about it because I even did an apartment swap in uh, September where someone stayed here and I went to Montreal to try to like do it where I was like, I'll say yes to everything the week before I went, especially I was like, well, I'm going to have no social interaction. So I'm going to like really just no matter what, get it all in now. And then I'll like get all my work done. Then I'll come back. And I realized like that it didn't quite work. You know, I was just like so overwhelmed and behind and I didn't, you know, it it helped a little bit to remove all, all distractions, but ultimately it's like, well, I live here and I'm going to have to figure out how to both keep in touch socially as well as not disappoint myself every single day when I don't manage my energy well. Cause it's not even managing time. It's saying no to manage my energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is also a big root that runs throughout the book of this idea that, you know, energetically it takes a lot to create anything. I mean, it takes a lot to just live your life, let alone create something that is uh, starting as a seed in your psyche that you bring forth and make into a functional, shareable artwork. So I think even just to like practice your life requires some sort of guidance, some help, some container, some sense of structure that you can choose. You know, luckily we choose these things. And I think that that's, that's part of what inspired this book also was me kind of like looking at my own practice, constantly wondering, you know, trying to refine it and tweak it. And I think that comes from a place of, you know, I'm I'm deeply disciplined and very much committed to the practice of what it, it is to be a writer. And, and yet also, I'm just trying to find ways to thrive in general. You know, I'm trying to find sources of energy that feel consistent for me and things that fill me up as opposed to drain me. And that serves my creativity and my artistry and my imagination, but it also just serves my well-being. And I think those things, you know, clearly go hand in hand. So reading interviews with other writers or other artists who I've respected and seeing what their schedules and their routines looked like, I thought, oh, this is so interesting. You know, they're so different. Everybody needs something different. But there are these sort of universal themes that run through everyone's practice. And part of that is like some kind of reliable structure that resonates. And I was like, well, the earth is what resonates with me. So what does the earth have to say about this? You know, the earth is, I always turn to the earth for guidance. Why would I not do that with this? And the earth is like, yeah, uh, I've created this perfect system yet again. You know, every earthly system always blows my mind with its perfection. And the seasons are like that. You know, the seasons are constantly suggesting like when to say no, when to say yes, when to expand, when to contr- when to contract. And I think this book is just kind of like me giving everyone that reminder and then showing different ways in like giving invitations to people to be like, well, what does it look like for you to utilize this moment of natural expansion or turning inward and how does that you know fill you up 
Or how can you practice that and see that show up in your life in a way that's reliable and that recharges you or, you know, gives you new subject matter or maybe like relaxes your body when you've been having a lot of output or, you know, there's all these different things that I suggest throughout the book and these prompts that I give. But what I think is unique about it is it's not this like exact step-by-step prescription. It's more of like, if you tune into this, there'll be some answers there that are specifically yours. And that is according to who you are as a person, but also to the place where you live. Because obviously the season is different for everyone and will affect everyone differently based on the place where they live. And I'm constantly trying to find ways to have the reader turn towards the place where they live and either fall more deeply in love with it or respect it more or, you know, receive its wisdom or however they want to interact with it. And so that's, that's definitely a big through line in the book. Mm, Yeah. And I think to the point of, of being able to amp up the self-care or, you know, in the case of being here, learn to, to say no, it requires self-honesty and some slowing down to even be able to be discerning and know what you're saying yes to. And like you like that you really, really made sense what you said of like it takes a lot of space and alone time to make put anything into the world and and creatively and otherwise. And and I I really feel seen by by that statement. And I I guess while we were talking about this, it reminded me of something you spoke with Tammy Simon about, which was the intensity of spring. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about how you feel about that? And I think you said you didn't really realize it until you were writing the book. And at the beginning of each season in the book, one of the things I really love is that you give these words. And Mm -hmm. I just want to read some of the spring ones before before you answer that. It because they it really sort of relates to what we were saying, but exposure, erratic, reckless, eager, unpredictable, frantic, fertile, chaotic. (laughs) I mean, acceleration, there's so many more, but um yeah, maybe you can just start there. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of things I discovered while writing this book, but that my feelings about the transition from winter to spring became very clear to me. And I realized that that is a very tough time of year for me and that it's kind of a tough time of year for everything. It's like life is ready to pulse forward and bloom and shoot out of the ground and there's this extreme exposure that starts to you know pop up everywhere and it can be really harsh it's like coming back into the light when you've been in the cave it's like that kind of harshness it's just the transition that's hard once i'm in spring and spring is in full bloom i'm delighted it's glorious i mean spring is incredible and i'm fully charged with feeling and eagerness and readiness, but that shift from being in my internal dreamland and having to kind of surface, I just feel that energy is so, it's just such a major contrast that I think it's something 
that I've learned to pay close attention to and recognize that like, Ooh, I have to be careful when I come from that inner realm into the outer realm, because I don't want to do it too quickly. I don't want to expend all my energy right away, you know, and it's kind of a perfect example of like, there's different parts in the book where I suggest, you know, paying attention to the world around you and what is the natural world up to? Well, you know, if all the flowers came out too quickly, they would all die because there would be a frost that would surprise them. And that does happen. You know, I've seen it happen. So it's like taking, like taking into account what happens when you notice when to be slow or when to be careful or when to just let yourself, you know, freely uh, let it all out and when to have discipline and when to let the distractions take over. And I think like paying attention to the way the earth works is always really helpful for me with that. I, I could just take notes from what the earth is doing and be like, oh, right. Like I'm not quite ready to let it all out right now because I think it might get cold again. And I might, you know, I might not do well if I expose all of my energy or all of my ideas too quickly. It might be exhausting for me or this like great wellspring of energy that I've charged up for the whole winter. Like I want to, I want to utilize it carefully. I want to be engaged in like a slow, steady rhythm with it, not just like a total outburst that all comes. And then I'm like, oh no, I used up all my energy right away. So I think it's like these choices and letting the earth kind of guide those choices. Yeah, that's so that's so well said. I the visual I think of and I think you mentioned this somewhere too in Michigan this would happen a lot where the tulips would spring up and then it would snow and and that's exactly to your point of an illustration from from nature of of things coming out too soon. Yeah, and I just think, you know, when you apply that metaphor to creative practice, it's like very clear to me after all these years of, you know, I've written eight books now, like you got to take it easy with the practice of creation because you can get burnt out really quickly. Like if you push too hard and you're not really ready to move into the next phase, like you'll start, you know, for example, I might start writing things that I don't like as much, you know, and then I have to go back through and like all the energy of sifting through all of this garbage that I'm like, wait, if I had just kind of slowed my role and been a little bit more patient with myself and like had a little bit more of a gestation period, then like that gentle approach would have resulted in a much more refined creation. And I would have been better for me. Like, it's all about, you know, how can I make this process work better for me? Because all in all, whatever your medium is, there is a force charging through you. The muse has something to say, you know, there is some kind of masterpiece that wants to be born through your body, your mind, your spirit. But if your body and mind and spirit aren't attuned to the practice of receiving that, and then utilizing that message and that information in like a steady way, you might lose a bunch of it, or you might, you know, not do it justice in the way that you could if you were to be a little bit more careful with it. Um, And I think that that can kind of seem like counterintuitive, because I do think that like creativity and inspiration 
often comes across as like this really like bright blazing offering. And I do think it is that, but I actually believe in like a few different muses. There's like the muse of inspiration, but then there's the editing muse. And then there's the muse of, you know, sharing and offering and bringing things into fruition. And each one of those muses requires a different approach. And I think the seasons kind of can animate what that looks like. Mm. Yeah. Well, with that, what season are you in now? And, you know, you just had your book tour and I think you're you're back in Detroit, I think mm-hmm. for a while. And you, I think you said you're going to be doing some teaching. So yeah, tell us about what your creative practice currently looks like. Well, currently I am in deep need of the winter cave that I have not yet received this season. Um, I have not yet been able to give myself the rest of winter, which is so funny because this book came out in December and you know, that's typically when I would start winding down and January would typically be like my great time of rest. And this year I was on a book tour and I was seeing all my old friends and I was recording a bunch of podcasts and really like trying to give this book everything I could give it. Um, It's important to do that right after a book is born. And so (laughs) I am laughing at how ironic it is that I have this, you know, the first chapter of the book is about winter and it's the longest chapter. And, And for me, it's like such a crucial time in my creative practice to rest and just state and read through my journals and kind of brew up and envision the next phase. And I haven't really gotten to do that yet. So I've started teaching. Um, I work with a program here in Detroit called Inside Out, and they put poets in schools. And I I teach a an eco-poetry curriculum that I created, um, kind of getting students to write nature poetry and connect so with the cool. earth. It's really special. And I, I I love the work. I think I'm, I feel so honored and that I have even any access to these classrooms and these students. And I'm also very curious when I will be able to make a winter for myself this year. And I will. There's no way I won't. I, I wouldn't um, let the year go by without at least some period of solitude or introspection. And even if that happens at my own home, you know, when I can kind of build it into my schedule, I will do that for myself. But I think you can probably even hear it in my voice. It's like, I have to fight for it. You know, it's not just going to happen all on its own. And also, interestingly enough, it hasn't really snowed that much this winter. So I've, there's a lot of conversation um, around witnessing the seasons and then witnessing how the seasons uh, are changing due to the climate crisis that we're experiencing and like what that looks like when I'm talking about these energies that, you know, provide these rhythms and what will that look like in, in the coming years that we experience. And I, that, I mean, the book is dedicated to the seasons as I've known them because that's where I've received this information. And part of me thinks, you know, I believe that it's important that we learn this information now, even though everything is shifting and changing with climate crisis, because I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have to give myself a winter, even if there isn't snow everywhere. So I'm like the, the memorization of this, the relationship earth 
as it stands and has been operating feels even more important to me. Like, oh, I better memorize it right now. I better offer it up right now. Um, And so, yeah, I think that that's part of the practice is like, well, I might not have received this winter wonderland this year, but I will give myself the opportunity to engage with that energy because I've paid close enough attention to it and memorized it. So I know how to access it in different parts of the year. Mm. Yeah. I, I really, really, I want you to have your winter <laughs> and, yeah, I will, and, I will. and same, like, I, I think it's, it's similar to what we were saying about LA and, and part, part of it. And in, in my case is like, I need to say no, but part of it, I relate to what you said about like, you love the work you're doing with the kids and you love you want being able to put your whole, everything you got into launching this book and those things being true. You wouldn't have it any other way. You still need time and space. And, and I relate to that in my own way too, of like, I'm not upset about any of the things I have to do or the amount of social engagements on my calendar. It's just, and I feel almost bad, not complaining about it, but being stressed out about it or being overwhelmed by it. But what I'm feeling is exactly like you're saying, like I need, and we need to create our own winter. And that's something that I, that I really loved about the book. And is like you said, a, a real through line through it of you can make your own seasons and take the season that you need, take some winter during summer, which, you know, the way it's looking, you and I might have to do, or, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being and, and just being self-aware and slowing down enough to notice these little ways to do the seasons, even throughout your own day, like even throughout a a cycle of a day. Yeah. Even in your own day, because there can be a sense of that turning inward because a lot of times what I like to talk about this with is like, you know, most of us are laden with responsibility and we work constantly. I mean, this is the world we live in. It's very rare for us to be able to have time and access to vacation, you know, unless you're an extremely wealthy person or you're someone who has like that built into their, the landscape of your job or something something like that. I think it's it's really rare for that to just be a given. You have to fight for it. And sometimes what it looks like is examining the nature of your day and finding, you know, 20 minutes in the morning to be still. And I think knowing winter and understanding the like level of maybe acceptance or affirmation that happens with being connected to the season at hand actually does help me. Like today I had, you know, I had a break. I had an hour to lie on the couch underneath my little electric blanket and have a winter moment. And that was restorative for me, you know, just to be still and silent and watch the winter sun come out finally. And then, you know, go on a walk and experience some sense of slowness and presence with whatever season it is. And uh, someone I spoke with about this said, you know, this book is really about rest in many ways. And it, it is, it is about resting and trying to, to like really structure our lives in a way that does allow us 
to find these like small moments of an energetic shift and a connection with the earth and respite or a recharge or something like that, just in the nature and the the seasons of our of a single day. And I think that that is very true that that is possible. But again, it's a practice. You don't just do it innately because we're not really offered that. It's not something that's like uh, systemic. It's not something that we see happen naturally or that gets built into a lot of you know, what we're doing as a culture or anything like that. So I think that like culturally, we are looking for these things, but the earth is, you know, our strongest uh, guide. I I think the earth is, you know, expanding beyond uh, cultural confines and beyond, you know, human systems and a lot of ways to say, hey, like there's space for you here. There's examples for you all around you all the time. And if you can try to utilize those, and that's like that's like what my book is saying. It's just like here are all these examples. Can you try to weave this into even just a moment of your day? Yeah, I love that. And I think too, like as much as it's about rest, something that we've been touching on a bit here is like the need for for rest after you know a lot of output. And I I think what you sort of mentioned too, or I've heard you say that you and currently right now you're craving winter. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you experience it this way, but I get too comfortable in one season where like I, I spent many years in what felt like a winter and that felt really good. And my life now is very much opposite of that and feels much more summer-esque or spring, but I think maybe we avoid the jarring nature of transition like spring or uh, fall, you know, that preparation to go inward after we've been outward. Like, do you have any, does that track for you or do you have any like advice for those jarring transitional times in your life and seasons? Well, I feel like I try to talk about that a lot in the book, like how to prepare for these things. And there are tools and remedies and methods to help us like fortify and prepare for, you know, not only each season, but yeah, these transitional periods between the seasons. But I think like one of the things that comes to my mind in in this, all of this is just this sense of like what it is to practice and to be creative. And so like in in all of this the idea is there's this concept of outcome that we have. Like whether it be the outcome of your glorious life and all of the things that you accomplish on just a regular day-to-day level or it's like actual like legitimate projects that you're like, I brought this book into the world, or I painted this series of paintings, or I made an album. And, you know, as someone who has done a lot of that, a lot of bringing things into completion, I would say that the biggest thread through all the things that we're talking about right now for me is this deep understanding that there is absolutely no way I would have ever finished any of that if I hadn't done the work to find a discipline and a practice that works for me. And I've tweaked that and considered that deeply over time. I've I've looked at it very carefully. I've let so many things inform how to 
you know, take my time with it and figure out what works for me. What is the ideal? Like, how can I rewrite the way that looks to give myself the time and the space to like create a life that I respect to make all of the things I want to make? Because without this careful consideration, I just know throughout this whole timeline, like looking back retrospectively and being like, wow, I would never have been able to do any of this if I hadn't given myself that respectful kind of push that was like, okay, you need a routine. There's no way this is just going to all suddenly happen. It doesn't just randomly come out and then there's a book. It's years of hard work and being very careful about you know, when to expend your energy and what direction to put it in. And I'm not... I think it's so important for me to kind of at this point in my career be like, yeah, uh, I didn't know what I was doing and I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm making it up as I go along, but I'm very carefully observing what does work for me and what does work for others. And the experiment is real. It's careful experimentation. I'm not just winging it, even though like I actually am winging it. Is that if that makes sense? It's like a perfect balance of being like, I'm just making it up as I go along. I'm letting like the creativity flow and I'm also doing my best to refine my approach and I'm keeping those things in balance because if I don't no- nothing will ever materialize at the end of it and even if the goal isn't to create something to sell or to share with other people I think there is just a goal inherent to life that is I want to make this as great as I can make it. I want to feel as great as I can feel. I want to do the things that move me. I want to move towards inspiration or I want to uncover more imaginative approaches to things. And I'm I'm just interested in like what kind of ways can we nourish that and how does that look for each person? And that to me is a creative effort. That to me is artistry. Like even if you don't call yourself an artist, there is an art to approaching life in in this way. Mm. Yeah. There's like a a direness of like you absolutely must figure out and refigure out again and again your process, your practice to be able to, like you said, make make anything. And you've made so, so many things. And and one of them that I, I have to ask you about is poem store that you did for 12 years. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, what a special project. Um I wrote poems for people with my typewriter uh in in person and they would tell me a subject and I would make up a poem for them in a minute or less and then read them the poem and they would pay me whatever they wanted to for it and I've written oh, over 40,000 poems in that way and all around the world and if just you know I think my dedication to that project came from the sheer fact that I got to witness these people respond to these poems and that's very rare for a writer to get to, you know, I saw my single audience member stand before me and weep when I would read them what I wrote for them and to to just see what it meant to people to be witnessed in that way. And for me to hear them and see them and then respond with a poem just for them, this like sacred communication between us. Um, Yeah, that definitely informed 
everything else about what I do as a an artist in the world, you know, to have a consistent, deep conversation through poetry in as many ways as possible. Yeah, poem store really mm-hmm. helped keep me on that track. Wow. Yeah. I I love hearing you talk about it. I wrote down something that you said, I think at the event where you said you saw all people needed was to reflect themselves, to have themselves reflected back. And the words that you wrote cradled the feeling that they were having. And I just thought that Mm -hmm. itself was so poetic. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, for me in all of my work, there's this inherent sense of caretaking and also like just the feeling of being in service to someone else and how, you know, it's not always clear how to do that in this world. It's not always clear how we can take care of each other or help each other. It's sometimes really confusing. There's a lot of barriers in the way and just to uh, offer poetry seemed to really just take down a lot of those barriers and the fact that people could pay whatever they wanted to. So it was really accessible. I think like learning about being in service through that form was, it just really expanded my idea of what art can do in the world. Mm, yeah. I, I I think, yeah, your, your work is such a, it mirrors people's feelings and people's emotions, which I think that that's the, like Rick Rubin talks about this of whenever something is specific and personal, that's essentially when it's good. And there has to be some part of humanness in it for us to be able to resonate with each other's work. And, and we all want to be seen and loved for who we are and that's intimacy and that's connection. And I, I think all of your work does that so beautifully i'm i'm in awe of it and i'm i'm in awe of you which uh that's a a word that you have mm-hmm. spoken about a little bit where it has both fear and wonder worked into that word and you're someone who you know uses words so beautifully can you talk about what you mean by that yeah i just that feeling of being you know, they say awe struck, where you're just in this state of awe, which is not only to be in a state of wonder, but also to be kind of like almost afraid because it's so powerful of how it feels. Um, and I, I, I really appreciate the like darkness and the lightness in that, um, in that word. I love that word so much uh, because it is like, it's beyond just this sense of, oh, that's that's beauty. It's like, whoa, that's almost something so amazing that I can hardly grasp it. It is like as big as the cosmos or it's something beyond my human understanding. And I, I love that feeling of it just sort of taking over. And I try to be that way, you know, throughout my day about many things. Cause I think that that's one of the joys of being a poet is that I can kind of slip into this state of wonder or be awestruck by something and allow myself because of my practice to like really settle into the depth of that feeling. But I also think about what you're saying about you know, my work and the way that you feel about it. And then like what Rick Rubin was saying, this concept of intimacy. And I think like, you know, of all of the artists and writers who have moved me and all of the musicians who have 
inspired me and what that looks like when it really happens, like in the moment where you hear a song or you read a book and you are reflected back to yourself. Like you see a connection usually. That's usually what it is. That intimacy is like a chance for you to have a vulnerable sensation of familiarity or um, an affirmation that like, oh, it's not just me who feels this way. This like grand universal sense of we are in it together and it's you and this amazing writer or it's you and this like incredible musician or it's you and this super talented painter and you are together for that moment recognizing each other and i think that that's just such a sacred aspect of art making and that that's like what i that kept me going as a young person and so the thought of being able to do anything like that for anyone with my work is always you know this just makes me feel like i'm on the right path and that's totally what poem store did like over and over and over again like all of those moments were just me and this other person showing each other like we're in it together i wrote this poem i'm going to show you that i understand what you're going through and usually on a deeper level than you thought and you know that's what that's what's so great about poetry is it's like this concise way of kind of giving this huge giant macro feeling and in in this like concise offering that connects to like the micro and the everyday. Oh yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than feeling like a piece of art resonating with what you're experiencing. You know, I mean, I feel like breakups are such a excellent example of that where you're sort of one feels uh, like a raw nerve, you know, and you're just sort of sensitive to everything. And suddenly that poem and that song and that everything kind of goes right in. But when, when you're in grief or when you're, you know, on an average Tuesday, I think, like you said, it's just, that's that feeling of, of seeing ourselves reflected and, and connecting with each other's insides is is why we're here really (laughs) yeah absolutely well i'm gonna just end with some two segments we do here rapid fire and a segment i like to call asking for a friend where i hold some of our mutual friends um to ask you some questions so just to start rapid fire i'm i'm so curious what are your current morning and evening routines i know you have been traveling and now you're you're home but what has been feeling regenerative to you that you've been doing consistently mm, every morning and every evening for the last oh my gosh probably almost 20 years i have i sit at an altar and I light a candle and I do do something. Um, It's different practice throughout my life, but I always show up in the morning and at night to offer gratitude, ask for protection, clear my mind, you know, cry, sing, whatever it is. It's always different, but uh, yeah, having that space be consistent, even when I'm traveling, um, I have like a little tiny travel altar that I bring with me. And, you know, the, the, idea of having the altar is having like a focal point and a place that I say, okay, this is where I'm sitting. And now I settle into this space of, you know, gratitude or whatever it is, prayer. I love that. What is your favorite part of your life right now? Um, Belle Isle. (laughs) 
Bell Isle. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, for those who don't know, there's a beautiful island uh, right off Detroit. And I go there all the time. And there's trails and you can be by the water. And it's just that place is definitely a, a gift for me in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I haven't been in so long. It, funnily enough, my my friend took photos of me when my book came out many years ago, and I'm. It's very of the time. This was like 2014, so I'm wearing like a flower crown on the on the cover. But we took the photos at Belle Isle, and I think that was the last time I was there. Mm-hmm. But it's such a special, magical place. Um, what have you been learning or contemplating lately? or something that surprised you or anything that you've, that's kind of been on your mind? I've been trying to learn how to be a better educator. So just like trying to investigate what it looks like to move from this space of artistry that I feel like I have like a lot of understanding of my craft and then how to be a better educator with students who are younger and like, what do they need? And also, you know, there's a lot of information out there from other educators and you know what can i read and how can i learn how to better that skill set mm, that's so good what about greatest lesson on writing like the greatest lesson i've learned or the greatest lesson that i have to offer <laughs> mm, b- b- both if you if you I don't mean, mind <laughs> and now i'm well, curious i feel like one of the things that comes up a lot when i am doing like creative consultation, like I, I work one-on-one with a lot of people, is this idea of uh, u- utilizing what you've written in your journals and how I've actually developed this whole system around how to go through your journals and utilize everything that you've left for yourself there. And there's so much that comes up for people with this where they're like, I don't have time or it's too emotional. It's a brutal process. It's like, it's really, I mean, it is very time consuming to read through everything you've written, but I think I would offer that as it is really beneficial to do that for the rest of your work, because it's almost like lifting this weight off of yourself and releasing yourself of the past I think it's a really powerful ritual and it's a great thing to do in wintertime. There's a whole chapter or a section in the winter chapter um, in my book about that, about the process of going through your journals and kind of getting everything out of there and using what you can and then letting it be. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one of the greatest lessons I learned about writing when I was very young was um, kind of like making a choice within your yourself on what your hope would be for who is your audience. And I, I've heard a lot of um, different takes on this. Like, don't think about your audience. I actually think Rick Rubin even says that. Uh, don't think about your audience, just make your artwork. But I actually felt real like this huge opening in myself when I heard my professor in college say, like, if you are writing just for yourself and you don't want to be a writer who publishes work in the world, really, you just want to write because you love to, you don't need to be in college. You don't need to be in this class. You can write however you want. And if you're a writer who wants to just write for your friends and family and your peers, you know, then maybe just like edit according to that culture that you live in. If you are someone who wants to write 
for everyone, then you have to gather as many tools as possible. And it's an incredible discipline that you have to build in order to try to edit your work according to the, uh, this concept of accessibility. And when I learned that lesson, I felt like this huge thing kind of crack open in me that was like, yes, I want to write for everyone. And yes, I'm here for that immense amount of effort that it will take to edit accordingly. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I need to work with you one-on-one. That's so, both of those are are really hitting me hard. <laughs> the The piece about journaling, it's, so the book that I wrote is about journaling. And mm-hmm. I often say like to mine it for gems and then, you know, let it go and release it. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so interested by your process and I, and I just really, really love that so much. And I think something that, I I have this group that I lead people through called in process about being a creative underdog, I say, and, and I the first step is creating space. And then it's also kind of seasonal and cyclical in its own way, but creating space and then gathering, taking things in, inspiration, experiences, and then trying things like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And then very intentionally, the last phase is sharing. And to your point about considering your audience. And I believe that we can't continue that cycle without releasing something. And I mean, that's why this whole operation is called Let It Out. But I, I feel like that that is the place that, of course, allows criticism and allows iteration, but it also allows connection. And without the completing that cycle, it gets caught and stuck in you. And, and I, I find I start to feel constipated a bit, even if it's just like in my journal and I haven't haven't gotten it out in that way. So I just, I really love that the way that you talk about both of those things. I, I find that like tremendously useful in just hearing about now. Mm, yeah, I could talk a lot about all of that. <laughs> yeah, you got to come back. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, let's wrap up with Lauren's questions because she has some good ones. And we said this emailing, but she's the one that connected us. And it happens to be her birthday today, the day we're recording this, which I just think is a kismet coincidence and and really special. And so one of the questions that she asks, she has several, so we'll see if maybe we can fit two in. But she says, how does she tap back into creativity when she's feeling uninspired? Mm, I go outside. <laughs> That's really my method. If I'm feeling uninspired, I go outside. The the outside connection is always what leads me back to my creative self. Mm, that's so good. Okay, this is related to another one. She asks, what's her earliest memory connecting to nature? Ooh, um, well, I wrote a poem about that. It's called How I Fell in Love with the Earth. And it's in my book, Help in the Dark Season. I think it's the first poem in the book. And it's this memory. I, I actually asked myself to remember my very earliest memory in general. And it just so happened that it was this memory of me as a very, very, very little person um, upturning a flagstone in my yard and uh, seeing these earthworms for the first time. Oh, I love that. Um, can I ask you just one more that she asked? Yeah. Okay. She casually mentioned at her reading that she married a tree and I want to know everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's also a poem about that in Help in the Dark Season. Uh, It's called Percival. That's the name of the tree. And I sure did marry it. And uh, Percival 
well, they live in Seattle and we haven't seen each other in a while, but I used to make a pilgrimage there every year to visit. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a big leaf maple. And yeah, I think when I was younger, it was important for me to have like a symbol of what it was to be married to the earth and Persepol, this big leaf maple tree. Well, they became that symbol and this place that I would visit all the time. So yeah, I love that both of those uh, questions can be answered with full poems. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. Well, gosh, I I think you're incredible. Thank you so much for taking all the time and for writing all of your books and poems. And I'm I'm such a fan and excited to to know you. And I hope you come back next book and and many times and that we get to see each other both here and maybe there, maybe there too. And um, yeah, I did. So, so the show is called let it out and we end by taking a deep breath and letting that out together. But before we do, is there anything else that you want to share that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about and you want to share and, and everyone listening Please go get yourself a hard copy of all nine books, honestly, but the new one is called A Year in Practice, Seasonal Rituals and Prompts to Awaken Cycles of Creative Expression, and it's incredible. No, I think uh, we covered many things. I'm glad that uh, my book, Help in the Dark Season, came up. That's the book I'm most proud of. Uh, It's a book of poems, and I really love when people find that book in the world because it seems to resonate on a really deep level. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's the next one I'm going to (laughs) get. Wow. Okay. Well, let's end by letting out a deep breath. Inhale. Let it out. That always feels a little bit better. (laughs) Mm, Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I think you're the best and I'm really glad that we got it in. Yeah, it was great to be with you. Okay, that was my conversation with Jacqueline Suskin. Get your hands on a hard copy of her book, her new book, A Year in Practice, or her other seven incredible books. I want to get the one that she said was her favorite. So that's my next investment in Jacqueline. I'm so grateful that I got to connect with her and this conversation was very useful to me. I, I talked a lot in it, especially at the beginning about our our shared situation of living in these two places and the contrast between them and considering the seasons and really considering our creative process and practice. So if you want to connect with me more, you know where to find me. Sign up for our Substack. I have really been enjoying sending that out weekly and I'm I'm proud that I'm finally back to that. It was really not happening at the cadence and frequency that I wanted it to for a while and now it is and and I guess that's something to be celebrated for. So if you like the show, share it with a friend. Leaving reviews really helps. If you want to support the podcast, we haven't had sponsors in a while, which is fine. I'm, I'm so happy to, to keep doing it. So the best way to do it is check out Jezebel's course. And, and then we all, of course, have Substack where you can become a, a paid subscriber if you want to or just a free one. And again, this podcast is free. I'm so 
happy to do it and we'll keep doing it as long as I possibly can. And I, I, there are so many choices, so many things you could listen to. And I'm just happy that you spent any time here at all. Thank you so much. If you are still listening right now, comment the bowl of cereal or just the cereal looking bowl on my Instagram or let it out's Instagram. It's let it out with three T's. Mine is just my name. They're both me. And I'm going to go eat a bowl of cereal right now. A friend of mine, or he eats one every night and I've been doing that too. I know that when I used to do the secret emoji at the end of these episodes, I used to try to recycle them or like never, never recycle them rather like make sure they were fresh. And I just realized I've definitely done the cereal bowl emoji because we had someone on who made a line of of cereal. And so I'm sure I used it for her. I had to, her name is Emily. Anyway, if you've been around here long enough to remember that, tell me that on, on the Instagram. Okay, I feel like I'm forgetting something important here. Thank you again so much for listening. This podcast is edited by the incredible Brianna Bain. Talk to you next week. Bye.